0: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, is Joe Biden in trouble over his immigration policies? His administration is being criticized on his policies from both the right and the left. What's going on? In particular, we take a look at the plight and treatment of black immigrants with Nana Jumphy, executive director of Black Alliance for Just Immigration. And activists prepare for a kickoff rally for the Thrive Act. What is it? And what is the connection with the Green New Deal? Uh, What is in it and what's left out? Why are indigenous nations supporting the act? We speak with Ashley Nicole with the um, Lakota Nation and also the Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma. Also, as Jeff Bezos turns down Senator Bernie Sanders' invitation to the Senate to discuss income inequality, we take a look at how Amazon policies are crushing labor unions and how workers are fighting back. We speak with Mike Elk senior reporter at Payday Report. We live in a global world, we're all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all, and we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics, and this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. So what's going on with uh, Biden immigration policy? His policies are being criticized both from the right as well as the the left. Kevin McCarthy went down to the border and, uh, of course, blowing up what's happening with the numbers of children that are coming across the border. The Republicans, of course, hope to use this against Democrats, uh, issues of immigration against Democrats in the midterm elections. Meanwhile, others are saying that Joe Biden has promised a number of things that haven't Uh, have not uh, taken place, including lifting the refugee ceiling, um, according to the Washington Post. Uh, There's a complaint about him not doing that, and that that particular policy actually has remained the same since the Trump administration and Ilhan Omar, meanwhile, she is uh, urging an end to the interrelationship between prison contracts and ICE immigration authorities and uh, there's a, a lot of angst and a lot of concern about what's happening with black immigrants and are they being treated Differently, but before we welcome our guest, uh, let us go now to a clip um, on the uh, from NBC on immigration.
1: We are the largest.
2: Congressional Democrats today formally introducing President Biden's sweeping and likely controversial immigration reform bill.
1: We have an economic and moral imperative to pass big, bold, and inclusive immigration reform
2: the centerpiece is an eight-year path to citizenship for roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants with a faster track for farm workers daca dreamers who came here as children and those whose homelands are deemed unsafe we are writing the next chapter in our shared story for many of us here today immigration reform is intensely personal Immigration reform was a key campaign promise for President Biden. He gave a broad outline of his plans his first day in office and has already taken several executive actions, including starting a task force to reunite families separated under the Trump administration. But Congress hasn't passed a comprehensive bill on this thorny issue in decades several top republicans already digging in against the president's proposals with senator marco rubio calling it blanket amnesty president biden has signaled he may be open to a piecemeal approach targeting smaller groups of immigrants but could face pushback there from his own party
1: passing minor reforms is not enough
2: with covid relief for now dominating capitol hill debate the future of immigration reform even more uncertain THE IMMIGRATION BILL WOULD ALSO EXPAND WORKER VISAS AND MAKE IT EASIER FOR SPOUSES AND CHILDREN TO JOIN FAMILY MEMBERS WHO ARE ALREADY IN THIS COUNTRY. TEN REPUBLICANS WOULD HAVE TO JOIN ALL DEMOCRATS TO PASS IT. A TOUGH SELL. IN WASHINGTON, ALICE BARR, NBC NEWS.
0: Okay, and uh, now I'd now like to welcome our guest, uh, Nana Jumphy, attorney, consultant, educator, activist, the executive director of Black Alliance for Just Immigration, known as Baji, and the president of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. As a human and civil rights attorney and advocate for over two decades, attorney Jamfi affectionately called the people's attorney by the community she serves, has consistently and zealously sought to address the social justice challenges affecting the community through legal advocacy and in the trenches involvement in community causes and activism nana jumpy is also involved with the international commission of inquiry on systemic racist police violence against people of african descent in the united states nana jumpy welcome back thank you margaret great to be here yet, of course, our listeners are familiar with you uh nana jumpy on the uh k p f k airwaves as well as other Pacifica airwaves. And I'm happy also to know Nana from our work together with the black coalition fighting back serial murders. But today, Nana focusing on immigration. Before we get to the specifics of what's happening um, with black immigrants, um, you know, a lot of people got really excited um, hearing what Joe Biden promised generally um, on immigration, but now there's concern that what he promised isn't really happening. Um, your thoughts generally on what Biden has promised in contrast with what he has done generally Nana.
3: So, so generally when you look at the promises that were made, um, you brought up earlier, um, in the the top of the section, um, The promise with respect to refugees, there was a promise, you know, some of these things were supposed to be easy, low-hanging fruit. Refugees is normally easy, low-hanging fruit. What people understand um, most and foremost in their mind is what the United States is supposed to be for, a place of refuge, right, in terms of immigration. And yet those refugee members have remained the same as what he refers to as the former guys, um, refugee members. Which is really shocking this far in to this administration given how low hanging that fruit is. But there's so many others. I mean there was a promise in the conversations that Baji and so many other organizations had with the transition team of this administration. There were promises that were made around deportations that, you know, we would not see deportations at least for the first hundred days. And even though there's a temporary restraining order on the specific uh, policy or the specific order, excuse me, memo, and the reality is that this administration can stop every plane from flying. It's done so in few cases and should have been doing so in all cases given what promises were made. We were all shocked and horrified to see that child cages have been brought back under the term children's facilities. But, you know, a rose by any other name and a cage by any other name is still a cage. Uh, And, you know, it's shocking that places like Homestead in Florida that were shut down during uh, the Trump administration have suddenly now, you know, are in the works of being reopened. So when we look at the information with respect to the Citizenship Act, Dream and Promise Act, There was a lot of conversation about not including criminal bars. In other words, it's people who allegedly have had certain types of criminal contacts, even if they were 30 years ago, um, being not permitted to get that, what they call pathway, I call an obstacle course, to citizenship or other forms of permanent protection from detention and deportation. And in fact, a coalition of attorneys, legal service providers with immigration, have really come out vociferously, bringing, you know, following Baji and other organizations that have been saying for years that we need to get rid of these bars. And they have been so angry because of the promises that were made that those bars would not be in this legislation. And so there's really no area that you can talk about with regard to immigration that there is not. Um, some broken promise from the Biden administration. And frankly, you know, we're not surprised. We're ready for this fight. But we think that it's unfortunate, given how our people came out, risk COVID, you know, pushing and pressing to make sure that the old administration was out and that this administration would come in based upon the promises that were made.
0: Yes, and, and Nana Jumpy, I mean, when people see me, when they meet me, they don't necessarily see a black immigrant, but an immigrant, but I am an immigrant. But because I'm black, that is often not, you know, people just don't make the the connection, of course, being an immigrant uh, from the Caribbean. And when people think of immigration now, even immigrants coming from south of the border, they don't necessarily think Black folks, Uh, tell us where Black people are coming from and a bit about, I know you were on our our show some time back telling a a bit about the horrendous journey people have made from uh, some places on the continent of Africa, as well as from Haiti. And tell us a bit about where black immigrants are coming from and some of the challenges they face, even uh, getting to the Americas south of the border, even before they get to the U.S., which we'll get to next. Nana.
3: Absolutely. Um, when you look at the countries that we're coming from, I mean, there's, there's it's everywhere, but there are some countries that you have more folks coming through the southern border than others. So Haiti is at the top of the list. You have more Haitians that are in Mexico having come through, in some cases all the way from Brazil, crossing 10 borders um, to get to Mexico on their way to the United States to seek asylum. The the Haitian folks have been doing so since around 2015 um, in response to earthquake, in response to political instability and political violence that has been fomented by the United States, the United Nations, the Organization of African-American uh, States, excuse me, et cetera, and that population you know, is in the thousands of folks that have been really stranded um, and stuck by U.S. policy as well as Mexico policy in um, Mexico. And then you have folks that are coming from other English-speaking parts of the Caribbean, such as Jamaica. Um, uh, where they're usually coming, fleeing uh, persecution often based upon their sexual orientation or their gender identity, really fleeing for their lives. Um, Many of them coming through Ecuador and, again, walking, taking the bus, taking a horse, whatever they can to get uh, across countries, including um, the jungle, in order to get to uh, the border. And then you have folks coming from the continent, uh, many folks from Cameroon fleeing the Civil War there, folks coming from DR Congo, folks coming from Angola, uh, but coming from Ghana as well, from Senegal. I mean, really, there's uh, almost no place that you can talk about that black people are in predominantly that you don't have one or two, three or four of our folks, um, and in some case hundreds, that are coming across, uh, again, countries of South America, of Central America, to get to Mexico on their way, trying to seek asylum in the United States. The conditions that they experience are horrific for a number of reasons, the main one being anti-blackness. Many of the countries that they're coming through, through South America, through Central America, have their own anti-blackness with respect to the you know, the, the black people that are from their own countries, because the United States, is clearly not the only place that those enslaving ships um, came to. And we see that in Mexico, especially, where people have been stuck for the longest periods of time, some people for years, literally for years, um, is uh, really uh, the anti-blackness that they have against their own black population is just extended to the black immigrants that are there. If people want to learn more about that, they can go to our website, at Baji.org, B-A-J-I.org, and read our most recent report that we just published in January with Umumi, a women's organization, migration organization in Mexico, called There Is a Target on Us that really clearly lays out the lack of medical care, the lack of good jobs, obviously, the physical violence that people suffer as a result of anti-blackness, the police harassment, it's all laid out there. I'll say this. In 2019, Baji took the CBC and um, Representative Vargas from the CHC, Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, to Tijuana to see the conditions. Representative Vargas, Representative uh, Blass, Representative Lee, Representative Clark, were so outraged that they called for the immediate Um, allowance of black asylum seekers into this country without having to wait at the border at all, as well as uh, LGBTQ asylum seekers. That never happened, but that gives you a sense of how outrageously horrific the conditions are that black asylum seekers are dealing with on the Mexican side of the border.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Nana, this this bleeds into uh, so much um, here on this side of the border, so to speak, the imposed uh, border, as people say, uh, the border crossed us. And we talk about black, brown unity and we talk about. Um, trying to bridge the way Black and Brown people are divided, one from each other. But one thing that folks really don't like to talk about, and a, a lot of these conversations I know happen in families, happen with other communities, is exactly the anti-Blackness that you uh, that you talked about. And I know traveling south of the border, whether it was in Brazil, um, you know, Central America, Peru, et cetera. Uh, the the level of of anti-blackness, the level of of racism, uh, I imagine would be quite shocking to You know, black folks coming from the United States. So there's that on the one hand that you have to contend with. But then on the other hand, people may be saying, well, why are black folks even trying to come to the United States, given uh, the history of racist terror in this country, um, the whole spate of of police killings that are going on of, of black folks. So, you know, just put that in some context for us, because there's also a reason that you have uh, so many black folks basically having to flee their home countries uh, to go through horrific uh, experiences to be able to get to the United States. Nana Jumpy.
3: Oh, yes. I'll you know, say two things around that, Margaret. One is that I myself have been to Tapachula, Mexico. I've been to Tijuana and spaces in between, um, even Guatemala. I'm speaking to black migrants that are coming from the various countries that I described earlier. And and they really, so many of them, and we know this, uh, Margaret, you know this yourself, as a migrant, so many of them really believe the lie that the United States tells that these are isolated incidents that they're hearing about and that this country is fundamentally good to people and free and fair and all of those things. They really do believe that that, you know, you have people here that believe that, that are living in this country, um, let alone people that are coming from outside. And so it's almost heartbreaking to express to people that that is not the case, that it's not isolated incidents or that it's not the fault of the people that have been killed by the police, etc. So I think that's one piece for people to understand that this the... Uh, the fairy tale that the United States sells of itself is believed by so many people around the world, not just black folks, but so many people around the world. The second piece of it is that much of what black people are fleeing from the continent and what they're fleeing from the Caribbean and even South and Central America, because of course there's black people there coming um, to this country to seek asylum as well, is what the United States wrought. right? It is the United States Policy. There are uh, the foreign policy of this country, the wars of this country, the multinational corporations that are exploiting both the people and the resources um, that are, you know, corporations from this country. So, you know, uh, what's the saying, Margaret? We are here because you are there, right? It's like the the imposition of the United States, the imperialism of the United States. Uh, and the ways in which the U.S. empire has impacted our countries is what causes people to flee. Now, people are also fleeing across the Mediterranean and risking death and, you know, organ transplant and all kind of things, right, um, as well. Yeah. And, and for the same reason, because Europe and what Europe has done and what Europe has wrought has ended up in uh, situations in which people have to flee for their lives in countries, for example, in the continent um, and even um, in the Caribbean. And so the United States is not exceptional in terms of um, the why people are coming here, but it is somewhat exceptional in the ways in which its empire causes harm, causes trauma um, in countries where our people come from.
0: Yeah, and and Nana, also, you know, in talking with people about immigration, uh, sometimes people, okay, get that if you're fleeing violence, if your life, you know, is under threat, you know, that's reasonable um, uh, cause uh, uh, among some people to flee and try to come to the United States. Uh, What a lot of people don't get, though, Or people like myself, like my family, we were economic refugees and not making the connection that that poverty in and of itself is a form of violence. And also the relationship with the impoverishment of places like the Caribbean region or uh, of the, the continent and what that has to do with the policies of the global north. You know what I mean? And and uh, uh, and yeah, also the the relationship between our poverty and uh, propping up the lifestyle of people in the United States and in Europe. I mean, uh, that connection really isn't made. And how much wealth um, be, is being sucked out of the global south while people remain impoverished. This isn't talked about that much. Nana Jumpy. Well,
3: that's the definition of globalization, uh, you know I often say the first uh, the first globalization um, piece is for example the you know the enslavement of African people, um, the robbing, stealing, violence against indigenous people. I mean this is where globalization begins and and it continues so as I you know referenced earlier, when you look at all of these corporations that are take getting things as simple as chocolate, and then we see that type of, you know, impoverishment that occurs any place, someplace, you know, they find some kind of resource on the continent, in the Caribbean. What you know for sure is that, in particular, the people that live in those places where the resource can be found are going to be amongst the most impoverished people in the country because the United States, and because of Europe, because their corporations, as well as their government, are going to do whatever they can Forcibly and coercively extract those resources, and so in the same way that you had black folks in the Great Migration fleeing political, fleeing social, and fleeing economic terror during the times uh, of the you know, Jim Crow and before, you have black folks that are doing the same thing, coming from other countries, fleeing social, political, and economic terror. And it's all resulting from the same space, which is white supremacy, anti-blackness, capitalism, et cetera, war, et cetera.
0: Right. And uh, Nana, just for people now who want to know more about the work of of Baji and what your very urgent concerns are now relating to uh, black immigration. So just tell us about that and also what people can do, how they could get more information, how they could support uh, the work that you and others are doing around this issue, Nana Jamfi. So, uh, you
3: know, Baji is focused and continues to be focused on the criminalization of black migrants, which it occurs because we're black, just as you have the criminalization of black citizens um, in this country. We're concerned about the exclusion of black migrants from health care, from education, um, from uh, drivers, basic things like driver's licenses, the ability to have shelter, so the, the, the exclusion from access to human rights. And the capacity to live with human dignity in this country and the separation of our families and our communities, whether that be through the criminal sanction system or the detention deportation system. We are really focused on de- detention and deportation defense. We provide direct services in those areas, direct legal services, but also advocate and educate our communities uh, as well as policymakers to prevent our detention and deportation. We're focused on permanent protection for all people, not just people who fit sort of what white soccer moms think is a good person, but all people who are in this country as migration is a human right, as well as working uh, to, on behalf of folks that are at the borders. And then we're focused particularly this year on health, both gender justice and health in terms of reproductive rights and uh, mental health for black women and femmes. And gender nonconforming conforming people, as well as COVID relief and COVID protection. So, in 2021, going into 2022, these are our foci Really working on how we can unite the diaspora, working together with African Americans to push for racial, social, and economic justice. And if folks want to know more, they can go to Baji.org, dot org, or they can follow us at Baji Tweet on Twitter or at instabaji on instagram
0: well nana jamfi thank you so much for your work and thank you for taking time from i know your crazy hectic schedule uh to join us and we hope that you will again and continue to update us on what's going on nana jamfi thank you for being with us
3: thank you for having me margaret thank you so very much
0: Okay, we're going to take our station break now. And coming up, um, Ashley Nicole of the Lakota Nation, of the, um, also the absentee Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma waiting to speak with us about the Thrive Agenda and what's going on with Amazon trying to crush workers and workers' rights. Mike Elk with a reporter for Payday Report. will be joining us stay with us we'll be right back
1: please help keep independent journalism alive and kpfk radio strong become a sustainer circle member of kpfk by pledging at any level ten dollars twenty dollars a hundred dollars per month whatever suits you this is Verdeen White of Earth, One & Fire, encouraging you to make your tax-deductible donation today at 818-985-5735 or kpfk.org.
0: selected by Kiana Williams who is sitting in for Romero Funes who our assistant producer, who will be away for the next few weeks. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Our website right now um, is being uh, revamped. Uh, we'll let you know when it's back up, but you can check out our Facebook page. Just if you're a member of Facebook, just look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the United States um, in Newark, New Jersey. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the nation, the West African nation of Liberia. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we're now going to turn our attention uh, to something that is coming up we all need to know about, which has to do with the Thrive Act. And uh, let us first, before we welcome our guests, let us go to a clip Uh, that tells us of people speaking out about exactly what the Thrive agenda is. We are challenged as humankind
1: has never been challenged before. We know the dangerous catastrophic effects of climate crisis.
2: The corporate greed
1: of
4: the fossil fuel industry. COVID-19. High rates of unemployment. Trying to pay off my student debt. While dealing with racial and gender injustice.
3: This is why we must pass the Thrive
4: Agenda. It's time to transform, heal, and renew by investing in vibrant
2: economies.
0: Because it's high time that our federal government implemented Just Recovery to support Black, Indigenous,
2: working class, and immigrant communities.
0: These
3: same communities are home to frontline workers who are getting sick and dying at a higher rate than anyone else.
4: We need to see jobs created that support frontline workers. So that we can continue to work while our loved ones are being taken care of, while they're the most vulnerable. Our communities deserve to be
2: healthy. We deserve jobs with living wages.
1: We need to build things in America again.
2: In a way that isn't going to exploit the environment.
1: The DRIVE Agenda retrains those
2: who will be
3: put
0: out of the fossil fuel industry.
1: We have the resources, but we must bring them all together and make the connection between climate and the economy and race.
4: The Thrive Agenda moves us towards justice, sustainability, and right relationship with our
2: Earth.
1: Support Thrive if you want green transit, green infrastructure.
4: We would be able to create millions of good paying jobs. Unionized, high paying, clean energy jobs.
2: Clean air. Clean safe affordable drinking water
4: and the further strengthening of our union rights.
2: Those most in need cannot be an afterthought. We
1: need a sustainable way to do our work. And I need my children and my children's children to have a safe and healthy world.
4: Based on solidarity, cooperation, and self-determination here in Jackson, Mississippi. Here in New York City. Baltimore. Inez, Kentucky. Lansing,
1: Michigan. New Orleans. Salt Lake City. San Diego, California.
4: Here in my home of Alaska and on Yoko Territory, known as Fresno, California, and in Florida.
0: That's what the Thrive Act symbolizes for me, empowerment for all oppressed communities here in America.
4: We have the power and the ability to create together and help people across the country get behind that business. To me, the Thrive Agenda says we are working as one.
0: All righty, there you go. And let's welcome our guest now. Ashley Nicole McRae comes from the Asantee Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma and the Oglala Lakota Nation and resides on Muskogee Creek. Reservation, also known as Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ashley is the Green New Deal organizer for the Indigenous Environmental Network, who is a member of the Green New Deal Network, home to the Thrive Agenda. As an Oklahoman and indigenous femme living in a state dependent on the dying fossil fuel industry, Ashley understands the importance of advancing a Green New Deal via a just transition that is rooted in indigenous principles and knowledge and uplifts black, brown, and working communities while also protecting Grandmother Earth for future generations. Ashley, Nicole, welcome.
4: Thank you so much, Margaret. I'm so happy to be here today.
0: Right. And Ashley, tell us about the, uh, before we get more into the Thrive agenda, about the Green New Deal network. A lot of people are having a difficult time wrapping their heads around about what is meant by the Green New Deal. We know people talk about the Green New Deal in the United States. There's also a Green New Deal for Europe, which is different from the Green New Deal in the United States. The Green New Deal for Europe, for example, includes a call for a care income for the caring of people and the environment you know bringing together uh, poverty issues so tell us about this green new deal network and its relationship to the thrive agenda
4: yeah absolutely so the green new deal network is really an expansive network made up of 14 large national organizations who have their own constituencies and networks so some of the groups that are involved are the Indigenous Environmental Network, and we are a national, international organization that represents and uplifts the front lines and grassroots in our communities. Um, Also the Movement for Black Lives, Sunrise Movement, Sierra Club, uh, Grassroots Global Justice Alliance, uh, Climate Justice Alliance, Right to the City, People's Action, um, and labor unions. And so it really is a very broad Um, far-reaching network of different organizations who really are coming together to develop uh, the Thrive Agenda, which is our vision for a Green New Deal. And of course, like you said, there are many different versions of the Green New Deal, uh, but the Thrive Agenda really represents these frontline voices, these frontline grassroots organizations, what the people on the ground are demanding, and I think that that's what really sets it apart.
0: Right. So tell us then about the Thrive Act. Uh, There's a a kickoff rally for it uh, actually happening uh, later today. That's, I think, about 4 p.m. or so um, West Coast time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So today we are kicking off um, our Thrive Act, which does come out of the Thrive Agenda. And Thrive stands for Transform heal, renew by investing in vibrant economies. And so it really does expand and hold uh, many different pillars, eight specific pillars that address union rights, that address climate justice, that address racial justice and indigenous sovereignty. And so uh, the Thrive Act is one piece that has come out of that agenda. And it really is our effort to push the conversation in Congress from relief to just recovery, because we know that, you know, Congress did pass the American Rescue Plan, and that was a very bold and large uh, relief plan, but really, we know that we need more. A lot of things were left out, including rights for immigrants and uh, indigenous communities and the climate, and so we're gonna use this March recess to really show the collective power of our grassroots by shifting the conversation away from relief to recovery.
0: Right, and are
4: there um, specific,
0: you know, aspects of of the act? I mean, you've given us some broad sweeps. Are there some very specific demands that are part of uh, Thrive and the Thrive Act in particular? Yeah. Particular focus issues. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah. so so the Thrive Act is a really big, big uh, bold-scale plan that will push forward and demand a million dollars one trillion dollars per year being invested in our communities it will also create 15 million safe clean good union jobs and this is so important demanding this just recovery because we know that oftentimes when these recovery packages are pushed forward they do address the the needs for predominantly white men quite frankly but we know that our workers, our, our care workers, our migrant communities, our black, brown, and indigenous communities are being left out of this conversation. And so not only are we gonna demand an investment of a trillion dollars per year, we're also gonna demand that over the, uh, over the next decade that at least 50% of the investment from this bill go to the communities on the front line of the climate and equity crisis. And we've defined those frontline communities as black indigenous nations And communities are Latinx, Arab, Asian, and Pacific Islander relatives, as well as rural communities and uh, those who are on the front lines of environmental chaos.
0: Right. And, you know, just to say, I remember some some years back, uh, there were organizations in several uh, cities, I think, that were organized as Jobs for Justice. And when I looked a bit at the the Thrive Agenda and and your website, by the way, people would be able to go to thriveagenda.com. Is that right? To get uh, some more information it does seem to me, anyway, a continuation of what that movement was pushing for. Um, and uh, just to push back a little bit on this, I mean, when we look at the um, Biden stimulus agenda, where you had money and checks going directly to families in people's hands, but also things like the child tax credit, that for the first time acknowledges, you know, that. Raising children, first of all, is work and, and, you know, families need money for it. Um, In contrast with the Green New Deal for Europe, what they're saying is that they no longer want jobs that destroy the environment and destroy the health of people, actually. And, um, you know, they want another way of living. So how does the, the Thrive Act and the Thrive Agenda then jibe with this in terms of the demand. It it seems a lot of the focus of the demands are for jobs. Um, Yeah,
4: so we we definitely think that, you know, we do need to put America back to work, that during this pandemic, millions of Americans have lost their jobs. Here, especially in Oklahoma, where we are dependent on the fossil fuel industry, we've seen those jobs here tank and people are losing their jobs left and right every single day and so we're really seeing the need to transition on a large scale to really shift the conversation and to shift the entire structure that we're dealing with and the reason why you know we're involved in this is because we really do believe that you know centering and uplifting indigenous sovereignty and these nation-to-nation relationships can do a lot to make sure that we're restoring the environment, that we're you know, making sure that the environment is going to be clean for future generations. And so it is very similar to many um, efforts that you know, have been pushed forward in the past, and we definitely are standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, but we really think that the Thrive Agenda, and specifically the Thrive Act itself, We'll do a lot to shift all of the other recovery bills that are being pushed through Congress to make sure that it is a just recovery and we think that the just recovery part is so important because we don't want it to be a situation where we have incremental change and you know we, we definitely do see this administration and this Congress as a very friendly administration and Congress they are willing to offer us a seat at the table and and a listening ear uh, but making sure that those promises are actually implemented and really pushing the conversation further so that you know the more further that we push this conversation left the more reasonable some of the demands that we're making will seem and so that's really you know where we're where we're standing with the thrive agenda and why we're so adamant about just recovery and shifting the conversation
0: and for people who want to find out more about this and how they can support uh your efforts what should they do
4: yeah, so as you mentioned before, we do have um, a digital rally tonight to talk more and to launch the Thrive Act, and that will be taking place at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, you can go to the greennewdillnetwork.org and there you will find a page to sign up for the uh, digital rally and it will be um, displayed live on the various uh, network organizations who are participating. And we'll be um, asking people to uh, call their senators, to call their Congress members during the March recess to tell them that they want them to support a Thrive Agenda. And hopefully we'll be able to you know, really get the just recovery that we deserve.
0: Right. Well, on that note, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there, Ashley and Nicole McRae. But please continue to keep us posted on um, progress with this. We do cover the work of the Indigenous Environmental uh, Network quite a bit uh, on Thursdays for our weekly uh, Earth Watch, et cetera. Uh, but this is the first on this particular uh, piece on the Thrive Agenda. So we'll be we'll be watching. Thank you so much, Ashley. Nicole. Thank you, Margaret. All righty. And we are now going to uh, wrap our show up looking at what the heck is Amazon up to? Uh, Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world, it seems. Now, his ex-wife, she is actually the money that she got. She is giving quite a bit of it away. Bezos, meanwhile, has turned down an invitation by Senator Bernie Sanders, who is much loved by organized labor and has made it clear that he stands with workers. Uh, Bernie had invited Jeff Bezos to to a discussion in the Senate about income inequality. Well, no surprise, he turned it down. Let's find out uh, what's going on here. And uh, let us welcome our guests to talk about all of this. Um, Mike Elk, senior labor reporter and founder at Payday Report. He's a, um, a protege of William uh, Grider. Uh, Mike Elk is a labor reporter who has covered the drug war in Brazil. He spent years covering union organizing in the South for The Guardian and uh, was actually called an abrasive gadfly. I imagine that's a compliment by the New York Times for his role exposing sexual misconduct in his own union, the Newspaper Guild. He's a native of Pittsburgh, now living in his hometown, where he runs the crowdfunded uh, publication Payday Report. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us, Mike Elk.
1: Nice to nice to be on the show. I've been such a fan for so many years, and it's great to be out there again.
0: Well, wonderful. So. You know, so many people, I mean, it seems as though Amazon has imposed itself on the lives of so many, especially during the lockdown, where so many people are dependent on all kinds of deliveries, you know, things that they would ordinarily go out and shop for, you know, they're ordering online, and inevitably, uh, Amazon comes up as the the fastest way, and and maybe even getting better prices than other places, but there's a huge price that the workers are paying. About that, and then also tell us specifically about the battle for a union uh, going on now among Amazon workers and where that fight is taking place, Mike. Well,
1: um, you know, something to consider when you think about how hard the people that work that work in Amazon, you know, warehouses work. Your average Amazon picker walks 12 miles a day. Incredibly physically demanding job. Wow. incredibly tough for anybody to do and as a result a lot of people get hurt in those factories particularly older folks for young folks it can sometimes be a decent job but for older folks uh, it's not so great and so these workers in Bessemer Alabama they opened an Amazon warehouse there in March last year so they've only ever operated under COVID they've been extremely busy because of COVID and, you know, a lot of people were getting hurt in that factory. A lot of people were getting, you know, intimidated. People were getting, you know, sexually harassed. And this is a majority black female workforce that works in this factory uh, in Alabama, in Bessemer. And right now, RWDSU, which is a, you know, historic union that's been in Birmingham for, you know, since the 30s um, and, you know, was involved with marching with King. Uh, RWDSU is in a position where they're, you know, pushing for a union election there. They're really hoping to get the union election. Um, They're they're in the midst of one right now, and it will end on March 29th. Um, And, you know, Amazon is really, really heavily resisting. Uh, They're pulling uh, very emotionally manipulative tactics to bust unions. Uh, To give you an example, um, the majority of the workforce there is black, but the management is white, heavily. And so to bring in people to talk down on the union... They've gotten rid of some of the low-level management, and they've brought in black union busters. This is a company that's not culturally Mm. competent in how they run, but culturally competent in terms of how they, you know, breed in fear tactics. And they bring, you know, folks into these captive audience meetings, and they start saying things like, if you get a union, uh, you know, this place might close, which isn't too realistic since it just opened a year ago. But the other thing they say is, you know, under a union contract, some people do better, some people do worse. Uh, you could be doing better. You could be doing worse. You don't know. They create all kind of disinformation, all kind of fear that they put in people's minds. And it just creates a cycle of chaos uh, for so many people because they don't know quite what to believe uh, with that level of disinformation going on. And what Joe Biden did by saying your employer should never talk to you about your union views, if he was able to create an inoculation, essentially the way a vaccine would. You know what? These meetings are toxic. They shouldn't even be going on. Joe Biden said they shouldn't be going on. And folks, uh, you know, because we in the labor movement will train people how to go into these meetings and push back. And so folks are getting training and folks are shutting it down by saying Joe Biden said this is wrong. And then on top of that, Terry Swoo, who's a, a black congresswoman from Birmingham, I mean, the thing you have to understand, that Biden endorsement means a lot because that district where that warehouse is, they voted 72% for Biden. They went overwhelmingly for Biden uh, during Super Tuesday. This is Biden's base. And even though, you know, it's Joe Biden, that matters a great deal to workers because so often what happens in union campaigns is they paint the people that are the union organizers as the troublemakers. It's the old folks. It's the folks that can't do the job physically. And when you walk in 12 miles a day, this isn't, you know, a, for Birmingham, it's a semi decent job. You know, the average wage is about 16 bucks an hour. People get some health insurance. It's crappy, but it's better than nothing. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of overtime. There's, you know, some flexibility in scheduling. There's plenty of overtime. And so, you know, you've got guys working there, they're making 40, 50,000 a year right out of high school, right? So there's a lot of fear of, I don't want to lose this job. And then what they do in these captive audience meetings is they figure out, who is pro-union, they separate them from the anti-union people. They find people that are anti-union, and they start saying, hey, buddy, I'm going to give you a raise. Why do you need that union? Just come in and talk to me. And I was once in um, a PTSD survivor support group. I'm a combat veteran. And um, a woman who was a domestic violence survivor was talking about this cycle. And I said about, you know, when men will, you know that are alcoholics will clean up their act and say, oh, don't leave me, baby, don't leave me. I'm going, I'm going to change. And she said, and I said, and she was describing this cycle to me, and I said, this sounds a lot like union busting. And that's what's going mm. on right now is that <laughs> management is saying, give me one more chance, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Mike, I mean, while they're saying that, I mean, you have been uh, basically a, a kind of attacked. Um, well, maybe not. Uh, to me, it was a compliment, this uh, abrasive gadfly thing by the New York Times. Oh, but now, Emma's Twitter...
1: I'm, I'm a jewish guy from pittsburgh i didn't find that offensive
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay but now twitter is blocking um some of the the work from um the the payday report we just have really uh, you know a couple of minutes left so tell us what's going on with that and has that well, been twitter resolved
1: news program is run by um, amazon web services mm-hmm. and what Amazon Web Services is doing. They've taken it down. My stuff. they have taking down other people's stuff. They take wow. down people's content for a few hours, so to stop it from going viral. This wasn't even my story. I tweeted out a story by Stephen Greenhouse, who's a longtime, semi-retired labor reporter at the New York Times. He's a, you know the dean of labor reporters essentially, and Stephen um, is in a situation where um, you know he was telling a story that was accurate of a woman, of a black woman, who is 48. I've interviewed this woman, Jennifer Bates, who, what they did in these captive audience meetings, she spoke back and she pushed back on some anti union PowerPoints. They asked her to come to the front of the room. They took a photo of her ID badge. and They told her to go stand out in the hallway like she was a kid in middle school. That's some KKK stuff. That's some Gestapo stuff right there, you know, when you, when you can yeah. treat people that way. And I think what's interesting about this campaign is how heavily, you know, Black Lives Matter has been involved, how heavily BLM has been involved. Because, you know, I always tell people when it comes to union organizing, you know, African-Americans are twice as likely as whites to support unions. And unions aren't about wages. They're about respect, you know. They're about absolutely support networks so folks don't feel marginalized. And I think so often we get into this weird, I, not we, not me, but white guys in particular, Get into this weird class reductionist thing on the left where they say, Oh, can't we just all unite around class? And, you know, as Saladin Muhammad, who's one of the heads of the Southern Workers' Assembly, brought up, is the civil rights movement, you know, race, you know, racism, these issues, they're not divisive. The civil rights movement was trying to unite the working class, you know? and And I think we're in a struggle here where they've really linked this. It's not far from Selma where they are, the congresswoman there is from Selma. They've linked this struggle to voting rights. They've linked it to what happened with Stacey Abrams. They've linked it to a lot of things. And Biden has decided that he's going to make this his moment to make a big case on labor law reform, because no president has been able to pass any real labor law reform since FBI.
0: OK, well, um, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there, but let's see. A lot of people are quite upset that the $15 an hour as a base um, did not get into a Biden stimulus plan. But we'll see what happens with the union organizing and, and the bus- union busting that Amazon is trying to do. Um, Mike Elk, we appreciate you joining us, and we hope that you will return and give us an update on all of this. We'll Thank do. you so much for joining
1: us. Thanks so much. Us. It's so good to nice being on.
0: Alrighty, we are out of time uh today's show produced by me that's margaret prescott um actually i will need um to know our, our board up today I'm, I'm actually doing this remotely not in studio but kiana williams is sitting in for romero uh funes but we would like to thank our engineer uh, for today sojourner truth will be back on the air tomorrow if you'd like a copy of today's show yes it's gary Baca on the boards for us today thank you gary um if you'd like like A copy of today's show, contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1 800 735 230. Go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and you all please stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Do you,